Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists. We interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between about their latest albums and share short clips of their music. Find out more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. Today's guest on the podcast is the trombonist Nick Finzer. Nick attended the Eastman School of Music and earned a master's degree from Juilliard. During his time at school, he was mentored by legendary trombone players such as Wycliffe Gordon and Steve Teray. In 2020, Nick earned a Grammy nomination with Annette Cohen's Tentet and topped the Downbeat Magazine Critics Poll in the Rising Star Trombone category. He's also the founder of the music record label and media company, Outside of Music. So let's welcome him to the show. Hi, I'm Nick Finzer, and I just released my album, Out of Focus. Thank you so much, Nick. It's awesome and a pleasure to talk to you about your album. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks. So let's talk about the general concept of the album. You created this during the pandemic. We had lots of extra time to be creative, right? Yep, that's true. I'm a, I'm the type of person sometimes, though, that like I get caught up in the non-creative aspects of things. And so it's easy for me to just kind of digress into a bunch of busy, busy work or whatever you want to call it. And I just was like, no, I need to set aside time to actually be creative or else I'm going to have, I'm going to go crazy. So I, that's kind of the impetus for wanting to make a record out of this, these projects. They were all kind of individual projects, but um, just trying to keep myself moving forward in a musical way, not only just uh, spinning my wheels as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And I like how you mentioned that you like specifically set aside time to be creative because that's such an important part of being an artist to make that time for yourself. Yeah. I mean, for me doing a lot of different things, like it's easy to get sucked into everyone else's stuff and kind of not make time for the creative work. So it's, it's been an ongoing battle for me for, you know, even before the pandemic. So I uh, was just like, man, I got to really actually make time or else it's going to be three weeks and I won't have touched my horn. (laughs) Yeah. It's so easy to get pulled aside by all those other things like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, so anyway, it, it turned out to be, you know, a really, a really good thing for me. And it did take me a long time to actually get it all done, but I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to chip away at this and and just to be comfortable doing it. Like before we started, we were talking about some of the solo trombone stuff and just to be comfortable (laughs) putting myself out there in that way took a good amount of practicing to uh, be like, all right, I think I can do this. Yeah, totally. I play piano and even Mm -hmm. playing solo jazz piano, it's a lot harder than playing with a quartet and I've been playing a couple like solo piano gigs and at first I was like, oh no, like that was trash. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that was kind of the inspiration for wanting to do it. It's like, well, everyone else does solo gigs. If not everyone, but you know, like solo piano, solo guitar. And I'm like, man, I gotta figure out a way. What what happens if somebody calls me for solo? What am I gonna do? You know? So it's it there's nowhere to hide, you know. All the Absolutely. all the flaws are exposed to the world. Mm-hmm. Totally. Which is kind of nerve wracking. But then when you kind of learn to lean into it, you can like be a little more creative because it's just you. Yeah, exactly. You can kind of react to yourself and be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't mean to play that. But what do I what do I do with that now? Because it's out there. And, um, you know, it's been good too. you know, also I'm also a a professor and I teach a lot and it's been um, good to start working on this kind of stuff with my students as well. And they've really embraced it. A couple of them have performed a couple of tunes, you know, with a nice solo arrangement. And, um, you know, it's just relying on yourself. And I think that's kind of what it was, you know, during the pandemic, obviously to keep, keep 
motivated. It's like, well, I can do these virtual collaborations, which is great, but also like I need to, you know, challenge myself to do something that I'm not comfortable with, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. And the solo pieces you had, there was Laura, Judy, and, um, oh shoot. The last one is escaping me right now. It's a single petal of a rose. That's what Duke it was. Ellington. I was going to yeah. say, I was like something with the rose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of my favorite tunes of all time, uh, from Duke Ellington. And, uh, I had recorded it on a previous record. Um, but I wrote it for like three bass clarinets and four trombones. And it was, that was a lot of fun to record, but then like, that's like literally the most impractical thing to try to <laughs> tour with or like yeah. get together on a gig. Like where are you going to find three bass clarinet players? And I like, anyway, so I was like, man, maybe I can kind of adapt this because Duke wrote it as a solo piano piece. So I was like, oh, maybe I can do this on trombone. So I had to change the key, but, uh, <laughs> but it worked out. Okay. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you added into your arrangement of it? Uh, well, there's kind of like an introduction to it that's not not part of his his piece, uh, and I changed the key like in, on piano. It's in D flat, so it's like you know pretty it lays pretty well. But D flat is not a good key in terms of like the register of the trombone and using the whole register. So in order to do that, I changed it, changed it to G. I was just thinking the other day I could have done it in G flat and it might it might have sounded better. But I was like, oh, I'll put it in G and then I can use like the full range of the horn. Um, so, yeah, other than just kind of like the introduction, I tried to use some kind of extended techniques. One of my first teachers was um, Wycliffe Gordon, and he is a master of you doing all these different kinds of just like sounds, not necessarily just harmony, you know, it's, just thinking about like sounds on the trombone. And, and so I tried to use some of those things that I, I was inspired by him for, which is like multiphonics, which is like you play one note and you sing another. And if you do it really well, you can kind of hear the overtones or maybe another note in between. So yeah, so maybe like you play the root and sing the third. And then if you do it well, you can hear the fifth kind of in there as well. But um, so yeah, some of those kind of things, but mostly mostly that arrangement is actually just playing playing the tune. Um, and sometimes like this, is something I talk to my students about too, is like, sometimes you don't need to improvise that much. You can just play the song as jazz musicians. We tend to get it in our head that we have to put as much stuff crammed into a performance as possible. At least I have that feeling. I don't know. Not, I don't want to put that on everybody else, but, <laughs> um, I, I know I'm talking about just to just play the melody, just strip it back and just play, you know, you don't have to play like 17 choruses on this ballad you know so at any rate so the most of it is just a little introduction and then and then just the song and then wrap it up anything on there you changed around no that, that's just the tune i wanted to um again inspired by wycliffe gordon kind of these like textures so when we're talking about playing solo trombone as you know on solo piano like you have all different not only like tempos to choose from and styles but then you have to also think about like texture in terms of like how you're playing how how many notes in your left hand or is it just the upper register and so for for a single note instrument there's like 
they're also different things. Like we can play one note, we can try to give the illusion of multiple notes by obviously doing the multiphonics. Or in that case, I did some kind of like fast arpeggio kind of stuff to kind of simulate the harmony. Um, but uh, mostly just like play play kind of an intro with these different textures of like fast notes. And then, you know, Laura is an iconic tune for trombonists because JJ Johnson has like an iconic version of it. And so I, I remember one lesson with, uh, I studied also with Steve Turay at Juilliard and we played that song and I like quoted Steve Turay, or I quoted JJ Johnson in this lesson. And he just like cut me off. He's like, man, that's JJ's stop playing that stuff. So like it was a, a, con a con concentrated effort in that version to be like, don't play JJ stuff. <laughs> I have my, you know, my, I have my teachers in my head still kind of say, telling me like, Hey man, don't do that. That's not yours. You know, leave it alone. But, um, but yeah, that's just, that one was just playing, playing the tune and just seeing what, what I could do. You know, I tried not to like stitch any takes together. I tried to just, play and hope that I could get one that was, yeah. <laughs> that was good enough. Starcrest lovers because you did an arrangement for five trombones mm -hmm. um were you playing all five trombone parts yeah i did that was a you know just like everyone else just trying to figure out how to use you know logic and pro tools and figure out how to um, do all that sort of thing so i just that's again i'm an ellington head you know like i love duke ellington he was like the first jazz music that i fell in love with when i was in high school and so when I've had the pleasure to conduct, you know, a, a jazz group at a college, um, I always try to pull out some of the Ellington suites and, um, we played last year, two years ago, I forget exactly, but we played, um, the such sweet thunder suite, which that piece is from. And so I was playing with the big band and I was like, man, I really actually would like to play this on my own. Uh, it's one of my favorite ballads of, of it's, you know, Ellington Strayhorn stuff. And so I was like, all right, let's see what we can do here and uh, try to be creative within the confines. You know, I just kind of tried to view the whole thing as like, all right, we have these different, you know, settings, different textures, like I said, and uh, how do we be creative within that, con you know, context? And so, yeah, we couldn't do things exactly as we wanted, but it also forced all of us to be more creative and within, you know, what little box we could create. So uh, I tried to do some of the kind of, uh, like I said, Wycliffe Gordon was a big inspiration and he does this too, this kind of pixie mute and plunger combination that comes from, from the Ellington band, Tricky Sam Nanton is the guy that kind of started it on trombone and uh, tried to incorporate textures again. So it's four acoustic, trombones and then one trombone playing um, with the pixie mute and the plunger to kind of, you know, offset all the open horn stuff. La, la.
gonna say, because if you're playing with five trombones, that's like a lot of harmony on the lower register. So how did you make it sound good without without having it sound muddy? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, detail, ner music nerd question, which I love. <laughs> so I'll self-proclaimed nerd for sure. But um, so the trombone is kind of cool in the way that like it can function. It sounds good, like both in compressed or like closed position voicings close together or, or open position. So, um, and because I didn't want it to be too muddy, that was kind of the reason I played the melody with that other sound with the Pixie Mute and the Plunger, because I knew that it would be a little brighter sounding. It would kind of stick out in the mix. But um, I tried to, you know, use, you know, my good voice leading skills and orchestration skills to kind of use open position voicings that weren't too dense, because I knew that it would get muddy really quick. But um, trombone, for some reason, it can sound fine in kind of any of those uh, contexts. Like there's, you know, whatever, when you go and learn how to arrange for big band or something, there's like a lot of rules about like, well, don't put this here and keep this and like this. But with trombone, it's pretty forgiving. I usually say it's like the easiest instrument to write for because it sounds good no matter what you uh, throw at it most of the time, most of the time. Um, but uh, it's, it's, um, so I guess I just kind of tried to create space by not being too, I could, it would be easy to write like 20 parts because it's just by myself, but I was just like, all right, let me do four parts <laughs> and just kind of keep it simple, you know? Um, yeah, but really the key to kind of not making it too muddy was having that other sound, you know, using the mutes to kind of create that um, interest or at least a little bit sonic, sonic differentiation perhaps um, to, to make it interesting, you know? So I mean, that's what, that was my thought. Maybe or it's, I succeeded or didn't succeed. I guess that's <laughs> up to somebody else to, to decide whether it sounds muddy or not. But, you know, it's kind of the same as on piano. Like you don't want to put the third too low, you know, and then you're good. Okay, cool. And then speaking of, you said, oh, I, don't, I didn't want to write 20 parts, but you did write 15 parts on the, <laughs> the other song. What was it? Um, Mood, Mood Indigo. Indigo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you do that one? Um. Well, I originally wrote that one actually for, I did a summer, virtual summer uh, boot camp, trombone boot camp online uh, that first summer of the pandemic. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get, we had 15 people at the camp. I was like, I'm going to write this, write this chart for 15 people and um, just kind of see what happens. And it's a little bit based on, again, uh, just going back to this, those same influences that on Wycliffe Gordon's first record, he has a uh, arrangement of Mood Indigo that he did for i forget it's for a couple four or five trombones too and um so there's some inspiration definitely drawn from from his arrangement of it but um i wanted to write something you know like right after i finished grad school i got a chance to go to argentina there's this really great trombone festival there and it's called trombonanza and they always have like hundreds of trombone players from all over south america kind of converge on this little town in uh in santa fe argentina and um he always the guy that runs the festival always has you bring something you know to like play with all these people and so i was like oh man it'd be great to like have something for that the next time i get to go down there and uh i was like all right so i'm gonna write 15 parts you know and so they need to be all different levels so there needs to be some parts that are like for beginners like some super easy long notes you know and then stuff for like the more advanced players and so that's kind of like where <laughs> it was kind of a practical thing too like a i need to be able to bring this here and i want to have these different things and, and so i wrote that i wrote it and um 
and then I realized I couldn't play the bass trombone part. So I had to um, find someone to, to help me out. <laughs> and so I thought of, um, it was a great bass trombonist named Jen Wharton in New York. And she also has like a trombone ensemble group. And uh, so I, I called Jen to see if she could help me out <laughs> and play these parts. So she played uh, two, yeah, just yeah, one. I forget if she recorded one or two. She might've played both bass trombone parts. And then, um, and then I recorded the rest, but um, that's kind of how it came together. Like some of the parts are a little easier. Some of the parts are a little harder and kind of in the context of like practical use <laughs> later, yeah. in, uh, later at actual in-person events that we hope we can get back to. Cause I was supposed to go down there in uh, 2020 summer in August. And then, uh, so now we're hopefully one of these days get back down there, but now I've got Mood Indigo ready to go. Oh, nice. And you got the recording for already too, so you can give exactly. it to them to listen. <laughs> you did play like with a trio um you had mm -hmm. bright size life and stardust um and i guess we'll start with stardust i really like to put the poinciana groove on that one yeah i like I, i've always loved that groove and i've tried to find a way to stick it into a, a song here or there and um i mean i think my favorite version of stardust is the nat king cole version with orchestra and i i don't know what led from Nat King Cole to Point Sienna, but, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I liked, I liked it. I, so it's something that I had made done in grad school, actually, like I kind of played around with it. And then I was like, man, this is the time for me to actually do this and pull it back out and sort out how I could do it. And, um, I wanted to record with some people who I didn't normally get to play with. So I was, well, one person I work with at University of North Texas, Quincy Davis, a drummer, and uh, he he's also teaches there. And his brother, Xavier Davis, uh, is a piano teacher at Michigan State, but he also was my professor at Juilliard when I was there. And so uh, I got to do that. I got him on piano. And then the great Jay Anderson, who plays with like Maria Schneider. He used to play with Michael Brecker. Like he plays with everybody in New York. And I always had wanted to do something with him. And so I was like, maybe Jay will do this. I don't know if he wants to do this. And, you know, everybody was free. So uh, uh, not free, like I didn't pay them, but like <laughs> they were available. And so we, I was able to get those kind of two tracks together with them. Um, yeah, but um, I've always enjoyed the way that like a piano trio specifically maybe like Oscar Peterson's trio or Ahmad Jamal's trio, like they always have great arrangements, you know, of tunes, of standards. And like they don't just like count off a tune and play. They have like a way that they do it. And so I'm like, that would be a cool thing to have as like a band leader for myself just to play tunes. But when I play tunes, they are have a specific arrangement to them. And so I've been I had been thinking about that for a long time. And so this is just one one manifestation of kind of wanting to have at some point, like a working quartet that has like real arrangements of these tunes. So it's kind of like a, a mashup of all those ideas, not only stealing Ahmad Jamal's kind of groove, Poinciana groove, but also just like the concept of like how he has 
such like a, a way, a specific way of like playing each tune and like some different moments where there's like maybe a little bit of reharmonization, but it doesn't sound like, you know, crazy modern jazz, total reharmonized thing. It's yeah, it's like still recognizable. It's little subtle things. Matheny's uh, Bright Size Life. Yeah, man. That, I mean, that record, that CD, I guess, was like in my car, stuck in the CD player forever, you know, when I was in college. And um, just kind of like an unexpected, I thought kind of an unexpected tune for a trombone player to play. So I was mm-hmm. like, I, I like playing this tune. I had done it before with, um, I've made a couple duo records with piano and we had done it once or twice on a couple of concerts. And I was like, I wonder what this would be like if I did it uh, with a band. And so, um, I mean, it's a little awkward, the melody, like it's easy on guitar, but to do all the, you know, all the fifths mm-hmm. is kind of diff- a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, being by myself, just in the shed, I had to find some things to work on. So I was like, all right, well, let me see if I can get these fifths together, you know, and try to practice that. So it was a challenge in that way. And it was also uh, um, just something unexpected to do. But, you know, like most of my records are all original music. And I, I think Pat Metheny is one of the people who I look to for compositional kind of inspiration. There's kind of like Duke Ellington on one side and then maybe Maria Schneider, Pat Metheny, Chikoria, Herbie Hancock coming from the other side, meaning like in the modern sense or whatever. And just the way that he creates these like different sonic palettes for people. And so um, his music has always been an inspiration and just wanted to, you know, play it more because I realized, I realized in the process that, his music had kind of infiltrated, infil- infiltrated the way that like my my brain hears harmony in terms of like inversions of chords and and things of that nature. So I I was just like, oh, this is good. I'm just going to play some of his tunes and maybe get kind of more inside that. I almost wanted to do. There's another ch- tune of his called James, and that mm-hmm. I, wa- I kind of wanted to do, but I did I didn't go that far. I ran out of. Uh, I ran out of steam. talk about um your other company outside in music and what you do Mm -hmm. there and what how you're helping out artists that way sure yeah so outside in music is a record label and also a media company and kind of artist service company and we do a lot of we do a lot of things it fall in the under the umbrella of helping musicians to get their music out into the world and so i started it kind of accidentally when i put out my first record in 2013 and kind of it wasn't really much of anything for a couple of years. And then in 2015 or 16, 
I was giving, I was helping out so many of my friends with just the process of releasing a record that I realized it was faster to do it on my own <laughs> to, then, <laughs> to explain it a bunch of times. And so I started just, you know, helping them out with that, with getting their records up. Uh, and that was the beginning of what it is now. So now we do, we have, um, outside of music, which releases about 30 records a year. Um, and we also do some promotion of those releases. We do social media management and consulting and brand development. And um, we also have like another label where we focus on uh, young artists. So that's called Next Level. And so we try to get people who are doing their first release um, a good first impression, you know, because it can be really, really expensive to put out records, to hire publicists, to hire a radio team and do all those things. So we kind of have everything now after several years of doing it kind of we can kind of take it all and do it in-house and kind of do like a, a more affordable version that's going to be a really good first impression it's going to get in front of the right people come from a trusted source it doesn't have to look totally diy and um just kind of have a team to help you you know i think it's super easy now to get anything you want onto the internet and get it up on Spotify, get it on Bandcamp, whatever. You can do it on your own, but there's a lot of experience that goes into making certain decisions about timing, about how to pitch it, about who it needs to get in front of, of how to premiere a video, you know, all these things that just come from experience that you just won't have until you do it. And so we tr I try to, you know, help as many artists as I can and the team does, you know, it's not just me anymore. We have a couple of folks that help, help out and, um, but really, you know, the focus is to keep everything on the artist to make to make the deal centered on the artist to do what the artists want within reason, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mostly whatever they're mostly cool with whatever and keep keep the artists in uh, ownership of their publishing of their master recordings of their copyrights. Um, you know, there's so many stories from the history of jazz of different artists being kind of gypped out of their royalties or they didn't even know they signed away the rights to their music or all of those sort of things. So that was on the forefront of my mind to make sure that we stood for the kind of the opposite, you know, and um, makes it challenging a little bit to have, you know, a real business out of it sometimes because you're, you know, making sure the artist is keeping most of the money as they should. It's their intellectual property. And I think that comes just from being a musician and coming at it from that side. Um, but it's been great to be able to help as many, many you know, many artists as like we can uh, with that. And so we do all that. And then we do a lot of content. We do some, uh, we have a, a podcast series that we do as well and a YouTube channel. And uh, sometimes we get all of our artists together to play each other's music and make videos and uh, just try to, I have a kind of, uh, what are they, what's the saying? Rising tide, uh, the rising tide raises all ships. That kind of mentality about like, our music needs to get in front of more people in all different ways. You know, if all the artists do better than my record, if their records do better than my records, that's great because that means that all of us are kind of getting raised up, you know? So I think uh, that's the mentality of what we're doing. And um, yeah, so all of that is happening. And so every week something's coming out and uh, always taking new submissions. If anyone's listening to this and they're working on something, you know, feel free to, to check it out and send some stuff in and we'll try to be as helpful as we can to as many people as we can. And, um, and all of that last, you know, from 2015 to now last seven years has kind of led me to, I'm actually 
almost done with and about to publish a, a new book kind of that talks about all that stuff that we do and kind of puts it into one one little package. And so that'll be coming out in the next couple of months, which I'm super excited about. Wow, that'll be such a good resource for, for everybody, I bet. Because so many artists are trying to do it independently and trying to figure it out on their own. Yeah, it's like it's totally the, the internet has been great in that it splinters everyone and you're able to do exactly what you want. But then you're on your own, you know, and so it's like it's a little bit of like taking that splintered industry and kind of bringing it back together a little bit. And uh, tr again, trying to create a community, you know, a community of people and that want to help each other out and believe in each other and their in the music. So that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. But thank you so much for, you know, opening up about your music and your company. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again for thinking of me. And uh, you better send me your recording when you finish yours. Of course, of course. <laughs> You've been listening to an interview with trombonist Nick Finzer about his latest album, Out of Focus. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. It's also available for purchase on Amazon Music or iTunes. We've included links to all that in the description. And if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe to Bite Size Jazz wherever you are listening to it right now. We have a link that you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on social media. We would love to hear from you. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz.